0: Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land, Gilead as far as Dan, all Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the Negev and the plain, that is, the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees, As far as Zoar. And the Lord said to him, This is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to your offspring. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in the valley, the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows the place of his burial to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. And Joshua the son of Nun was full of spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, none like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants, and to all his land, and for all the mighty power, and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, uh, good morning again, uh, Church at Nine. Uh, It is indeed my pleasure uh, to be with you all again as we cap off Uh, Our series through the book of Deuteronomy. So uh, do keep your Bibles open to Deuteronomy 34. We'll be focusing on that passage uh, even as we draw on context from uh, the previous three chapters. Uh, So the date is uh, October 5th, uh, 2011. Uh, That's just about 12 years ago, uh, just over 12 years ago from today. And on that day, a man died. If I left it at that, uh, it's a little bit of, you know, unremarkable information, isn't it? After all, uh, given our global population today, on average, there are about 150,000 deaths every day. 150,000 deaths. But if I added a little hint uh, that this particular man that I'm talking about was also responsible for this device uh, that I used to type out my sermon uh, today, uh, then maybe it becomes a little bit more significant, isn't it? If you haven't figured it out already, that man I was referring to was Steve Jobs. Uh, He's a co-founder of Apple. He's responsible for the development of the Macintosh, the iPad, the iPhone, the iMac, whatever. You know, all kinds of things. Much, much more, right? Uh, Some say that Steve Jobs even changed the entire world, right? With his innovations, with his inventions and technology. Yet, Steve Jobs, sadly, paradoxically, his death at the age of 56 years old... Uh, because of cancer was somewhat strange given his love and passion for technology. If you know the stories, even even though his doctors and his families urged him to get surgery to remove the tumor uh, from his body, the cancer, Steve Jobs stubbornly objected to it, uh, refused to do that, uh, the idea of being cut open, according to him, and instead resol- uh, resolved to using alternative therapies. Uh, uh, from what I've read, he's used things like uh, vegan diets, you know, herbal remedies, even acupuncture, uh, and it wasn't until much later that he decided, "Well, I'll, I'll do the surgery," and you know, things didn't go well. Well, whether or not it was because of his non-compliance that led to his death, and people debate whether this was the cause, what everyone agrees uh, is that that death of Steve Jobs was a tragic death. Indeed, it was a death of contrast. Here on the one hand, you have one of the most successful humans on earth. Anyone would dream of being Steve Jobs, wouldn't we? The wealth, the success, the honour, the prestige. And yet on the other hand, here is a man dying a painfully ordinary death. Just one in the number of millions, perhaps billions of humans who have perished throughout history. Now, I don't mean to start this morning with a topic as morbid as death. Uh, But as God's providence would have it, if you guys were around and you remember, last year when I came here, I preached from 1 Corinthians 15, and we were actually talking and thinking about the topic of death as well. Uh, But back then, we were viewing death through the lens of the resurrection and the hope of the resurrection. Today, however, the mood of our passage in Deuteronomy 34 is slightly different. And the perspective and the lens that we're using this time is not the resurrection, but death itself. That is, we are trying to view life through the lens of death, right? Trying to see what we can learn about life through death. And Deuteronomy 34 that we will look at, uh, we've just read, uh, is really an extended reflection about the death of another significant man, not Steve Jobs, but Moses. Moses, the one that we've heard the last few months, responsible for giving the law in Deuteronomy, the Old Testament law, Yet here in Deuteronomy 34, we see a similar kind of paradox, don't we? A man of God, Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 1, a man of God, not unlike Timothy, the successor of Paul as well, the greatest perhaps of the prophets of Israel, yet in death, painfully ordinary, just like the other Israelites who perished in the wilderness, who didn't make it to the promised land, Because of their sin and rejection, Moses didn't make it either. Despite being the best of them, despite being the most faithful of those Israelites, Moses didn't make it. He didn't make it to the Promised Land. And friends, this is the paradox of death, isn't it? And some say death and taxes as well, right? You know, they say just about death and taxes are just about the only absolutes and guarantees in life. It's a natural part of life, right? You live and you die. Yet, At the same time, death is so unnatural, isn't it? Death is such a foreign thing to life and existence. And as Chris has mentioned earlier, for those of us who know that experience, whether it's through family or friends or just other people that we know of, you know that jarring feeling of what death can bring. And friends, if you don't know it yet, if you live long enough, you will at some point. And so death lives this kind of paradox that we have to resolve inside of us. Why is there death? Why did God allow death in the first place? And what does Deuteronomy 34 and death have to teach us about life and God? Friends, if you forget everything else I said today, uh, here's my one-sentence summary. Uh, Deuteronomy 34 is written for us to see how the paradox of death, it points to eternal life. I'll repeat, Uh, it's written for us to see how the paradox of death points to eternal life. And there's a lot to unpack there, and we need God's help for wisdom. Uh, So please do pray with me as we look at the passage proper. Lord God and Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you are the giver of life. And yet also, Father, we acknowledge that you are the one who takes away life. So, Father, in your mercy today, we ask, please, that you would teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom to know you better and to know Jesus better. This we pray in his name. Amen. Now, I've got an outline uh, you have received in your handouts uh, that should help you follow along. And we're at the context now. We're looking at the context. A succession, a song, and a blessing. Looking at Deuteronomy chapters 31 to 33. Now, just to quickly recap the last few months, as we say, we've looked at the whole Old Testament law that's based on the Ten Commandments we have read in chapter 4. And that Ten Commandments, if you distill it down to its heart and its essence, uh, we, if you remember, is that one key law that, you, that Moses says is to love the Lord your God all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. Uh, then last week, uh, you would have heard about having heard all the commandments, then Moses in his third sermon, uh, in chapter 27 and 30, gives us a decisive choice, right? Having heard the word of Yahweh, having heard his law, chapter 30, verse 15, see, I said before you then today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the Lord, blessing. If you disobey, curses. And then we come to the epilogue, which is our section today. Uh, This epilogue sort of continues the stories and some of the themes that began way back in chapter 1 to 3. And the story picks up, as Chris said, the main issue here is that Moses is old and he's dying. And you can read that in chapter 31, verse 1 to 2. And so Israel needs a successor. Joshua is chosen. And, And then you have a succession, much like Timothy when he succeeds Paul. And so Joshua is chosen, but then God tells Moses uh, to teach Israel a song in chapter 32. Well it's not just any song. It's a song that is a witness against the Israelites. for when Moses dies and leaves them, that they will in their future, they will be unfaithful, they'll disobey God. So it's not actually a happy song. It's a song that's a witness against them. And yet that song in chapter 32 is juxtaposed or contrasted with chapter 33 which is the blessing that Moses pronounces on the 12 tribes of Israel. So you have this kind of contrast as the background, and then you come back to chapter 34 today, and we have the death of Moses that's uh, 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 explained for us today in this chapter. And I think chapter 34 here really functions as, uh, as I said, a lens that we're meant to kind of pick up, take 34, Moses' death, and kind of look through the whole of Deuteronomy and kind of read the whole law again, reinterpret it, through the lens of this death of Moses. That's why it's here at the end. In fact, it's not just Deuteronomy, but it's the whole Pentateuch. It's the first five books of the Bible. Moses' death is really a telescope for us to look all the way back through time, all the way back to Genesis 1, the beginning of the Bible, the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And here we end with Moses' death. And I think if we understand Deuteronomy 34 that way, we will read it in its right context. And so, an understanding that I think will help us to really unpack why Moses' sort of paradoxical death sort of points to eternal life. And so we're at point one of our outline then, uh, verse 1 to 4, we're looking at seeing true promise, seeing true promise. So verse 1 to 4 that we've read out can be summarized as this, right? So Moses goes up to Mount Nebo as the Lord has commanded back in chapter 32. Uh, The Lord shows him the whole of the promised land, And then the Lord reminds Moses of the promise he made about that land. Uh, Two things for us that are key to observe here. First of all, uh, is the action uh, of seeing, right? The Lord is showing Moses, and he doesn't just show Moses a piece of land. He shows him the whole land there. Verse 1 to 3 there you see, God shows all the boundaries of the land. Those names and places are just the boundaries of the whole promised land. And if you map out the whole area, God is showing Moses from Mount Nebo, from the plains of Moab towards the um, southeast. You can see the whole land up to the Mediterranean Sea, up to Dan at the north there. And and the Lord is showing Moses this to say, uh, this is the promised land that I promised to Israel. You can see, but you can't go in. And God says in his commentary in verse 4 there, "Uh, this is the land which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to your offspring. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. And yet, that's the second thing that I think God wants us to see. The point is this. God wants Moses, in showing him the promised land, to know that God, Yahweh, the Lord, is faithful to his promises. Moses may not enter the promised land, but God, in showing Moses in his, his eyes as he can see Uh, God is communicating to Moses that he is faithful and that the future generations will enter the land as as Joshua leads them in succession. And he's giving Moses, I think, a chance here at this point to express trust in God, despite not being able to personally see, and I use the word see in chapter 3, where Moses says, I want to see the land. What he means is be in the land, actually see it there on the ground. But God says, no, you stay outside and you see it from a distance. I think that's the first point we're meant to see here. We're meant to see a true promise, that we have to trust that God is faithful. And that's the first key to kind of unlock this paradox of death. Uh, But if you're like me, the tension still kind of remains, right? Why why wasn't Moses allowed, right? Isn't he the best, right? He's the most qualified of all the Israel. Why wasn't he allowed to actually go into the land? And if you flick back to Deuteronomy chapter 32, Verse 48 to 52, it gives us one reason at least, and Chris already mentioned it, but Moses couldn't enter the land because he broke faith with Yahweh. He did not treat him as holy. But it sounds a bit harsh, doesn't it, again? Because given just Moses, he did just about everything else that's right, all other parts of his life, he remained faithful to God. He even, in Exodus, pleaded with God to blot out his own name for the sake of his people when his people sinned in idolatry. That kind of guy... Right, willing to give up his own life and salvation for the rest of his people, God says he's unworthy to enter the promised land. And yet Joshua and Caleb entered the promised land. Wasn't God just being a bit too harsh to Moses? Well, we have to read to find out then, and we have point to then, seeing to death, verse 5 to 9. And if you read verse 5 to 9 again, just look at your verses there. In my opinion, I think it's just some of the most Terse, right? It's, it's so just succinct, so direct. I have an account about someone's death. It's just like, here it is, right? This is what happens. Verse 5, so Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. Right? Or, or verse 8, uh, the people wept for 30 days and then the weeping ended. Right? No, no commentary, no details of what happened, what the funeral procession was like. We might have other questions, you know, what happened to Moses? And, and it's just that. That's, that's all the information you get, not much. Yet at the same time, if you're a careful reader, you read in verse 6 to 7, there are some details, and there's a little bit of a mystery going on if you read verse 6 and 7, right? Uh, It says that he he buried Moses. Who's the he, right? And and it says as well in verse 6, where is his body? His body is not known. It says the area where he's buried, but nobody knows where his body was until today. Interesting. And then verse 7 becomes a bit more strange as well. There's again a contrast here. You've got a 120-year-old man, Moses, right? You live that long, can you imagine? And yet he has great eyesight, great vigor or like vitality in life. Can you imagine at 120 years old? Maybe that's why he can see the whole land. But it's strange, isn't it? And, and if he was healthy, how did he somehow die on this mountain? No details is given. And I think that's the point here, friends. Um, again, we see the narrator sort of pick up on this little subtle hint of this theme of both a paradox, this contrast, but also the theme of seeing that we've already mentioned in the first section. Um, Moses' eyesight is mentioned, I think it's a subtle hint for us to see that uh, even though he can't enter the promise, there's something that we can unlock about this mystery of death. And if this mystery about Moses' death is not satisfying to you, not interesting enough, I can throw you another bone. I'm not going to jump on this detail because we don't have time, but uh, Jude is such a strange book in the Bible, and the Bible is full of strange books, and I think it's so interesting. It's worth uh, having a read if you haven't read it before. It's the second last book of the Bible, it's before Revelation. It's a short book, it's only one chapter long, but it's full of mysteries. One of the mysteries of Jude is Jude verse 9, where it says that the archangel Michael and the devil contended over the body of Moses. Now, what does that mean? I don't know. That's for you to ask Huey, and Huey will explain over monarchy, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm not going to dwell too much about it, but I'm being a little bit cheeky here because I want you to see that Moses' death is a little bit mysterious, and the Bible kind of dwells on his body a little bit, but doesn't give you more. That's a little bit of a teasing, right? Certainly, his death is more mysterious than Steve Jobs. But why all this? Why all these questions, all this enigma surrounding Moses' death? It's kind of like, what's going on? What's the point of raising it up, the narrator bringing it up, if he's not going to explain it? But I think that's the whole point, that God is trying to say, um, there's something here for us to discover, something here to kind of unpack. And I think verse 9 sort of gives us the clue for that. Verse 9, it says, uh, Joshua was given a spirit of wisdom when Moses laid his hands on him. And I think that is the clue for us, that is, in order to truly see through the lens of death, this very perplexing experience for all humans, deaf. To understand its paradox, we need wisdom. We need God's wisdom. And what is God's wisdom, you may ask. You guessed it. We've got to keep reading. And so we come to the last section, verse 10 to 12. I'm going to read these verses so you can feel the full impact of them and how it applies, I think, and understanding, seeing through time. So verse 10 in your Bibles. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land. And for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. Now these few verses here are essentially a eulogy of Moses' life. And I think we're meant to see... um, that Moses was special. There was really no other prophet like him in Israel. No other prophet since. And the author sort of gives us three points to support that. He says, firstly, he knew the Lord, Yahweh, face to face. He knew him face to face. There's a personal relationship with God that none of the other Israelites, and perhaps none of the other prophets also had, ever had. And second, he did loads of signs and wonders that the Lord had sent him to do, to Egypt, to Pharaoh, and he did all these signs and wonders, thirdly, in the sight of all of Israel. And again, you see, there's this true line, very subtle, of this theme of, of seeing, of looking, uh, in verse 12. And I think these verses here is meant to kind of uh, help us to answer all the questions that I've sort of built up, all the previous sections of why was Moses' death so mysterious? Why wasn't he allowed to enter the promised land? And despite his pedigree that we're reading here, What is the wisdom that we're supposed to gain from his death? I think all this we can answer if we see who Moses is supposed to point to. And at this point, we usually want to say, you know, the Sunday school answer, Moses is meant to point to Jesus, right? And I want to say that is completely right. The signs are all there. You've read it right. But, especially in the Old Testament here, I think it's worth reflecting a little bit on the Old Testament characters themselves first, and the context surrounding them, just to enrich, I think, our picture when we do get to Jesus. So I'm going to spend a little bit of time reflecting on that. And the three things, I think, gives us a clue here. First is the wisdom piece. The second is Moses himself as a character. And lastly, as I mentioned, this kind of theme of death that we're trying to view life through as a lens. And I think a part of the Old Testament in Psalm 90 uh, brings all these three things together. First of all, Psalm 90, it's a prayer of Moses. But secondly, it's also a psalm about death. It's a psalm about death. And thirdly, its main point, I'll read for us the one verse in verse 12, the main point is about gaining wisdom. So you can flip there if you want, but I'll just read one verse for us. Psalm 90 verse 12, this is what it says. So teach us to number our days that we may gain wisdom a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Our friends, before Moses points to Jesus, and he does point to Jesus, within the Pentateuch in Deuteronomy, Moses points to, first of all, all of us as humanity. As I said, Moses alludes all the way back to Genesis 1 to 3, and I think you hardly find another Old Testament uh, Bible character that while it's not perfect, as we've said, it's just about the best that humanity can offer, isn't he? And yet, like each and every one of us sitting here today, that due to his sin, due to our sin of rejecting God and his laws, not just the laws in Deuteronomy, but the laws we read way back in Genesis chapter 3, Moses, like us, pays the penalty for sin. He pays with death. Painfully, ordinary, Death. And friends, I think that is why Moses, despite all the good things he's done, is barred from entry to the promised land. It's not for nothing. It's not out of spite that God is doing that, but as a means for enabling Moses's death to actually teach us as a humanity to number our days and to grow a heart of wisdom, to recognize that death comes through sin And so gain a heart of wisdom. What is this wisdom again? It's recognizing that we reject God. Like all of humanity, we have rejected God. And because of that, because of that sin of rejecting him, we will all die. And that's Genesis in a nutshell, isn't it? If you've read Genesis before, it's just a long sort of genealogy about the lives of the patriarchs and all of people from Adam and Eve at the beginning. And it just says again and again, and he died, and he died, and he died. And Abraham lived... Abraham died. Isaac lived. Isaac died. Jacob lived. And Jacob died. But, again, that contrast is not finished, right? If, you, if you're if you familiar with Genesis, it's not all about Genesis. It's not, it's not all about death. But you remember, there is the promise as well. There are, in fact, promises in Genesis. So if you remember, uh, not just in Genesis chapter 49, Jacob's blessing his 12 sons in Genesis 49 is very much... Moses mimicking that in Deuteronomy 33 that you would have read if you read the chapter before. So Moses blesses the 12 tribes of Israel very much like Jacob does to his 12 sons. And the promised land that Yahweh reminds Moses in Deuteronomy 34 is the promise to Abraham. That he will make his name great, you will have a great people, and you will live in the land, the promised land. And there's one more promise in Genesis that if you blink, you'll miss it, Because right? this promise is hidden within all the curses of sin and death in Genesis chapter 3, right? This sin and death and these curses, it's much like, again, the curses that we've read in Deuteronomy chapter 28, the curses for disobedience to God. And then you have this tiny little promise in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, what some people would say the prototype of the gospel, God promises that a human offspring will bruise the serpent's head and in effect crush sin and death, the enemy. And so back to Deuteronomy 34, we have this then, this contrasting picture, paradox of how the best of humanity, Moses, is still not enough. It's not able to enter the promised land. And yet despite that, there is a hope. Because we know one day, from Moses' time, one day there will be a man that is more than a prophet. It's more than Moses. One who not only knew the Lord face to face, but is the Lord. One who not only done signs and wonders before Israel, he eclipsed all of that signs and wonders. That man, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the Father's Son, the Word became flesh. He has made the Father known. And I'll conclude with a brief reflection on Jesus' life of contrast. So if you'll bear with me with one more little paradox. Jesus' life, I think, is a paradox because his life is really a life of death. Jesus says, if anyone would follow me, they must first take up his cross and then follow me. Steve Jobs, I said at the beginning, he fought with all his heart, might, soul and strength to fight against death but he failed. Moses pleaded with God again and again in Deuteronomy chapter 3, but he was not allowed to enter the physical promised land, and he died. But Jesus was not like Moses, and he was not like Steve Jobs. Jesus voluntarily marched his way to Jerusalem towards the cross. He marched his way to death. He went to the cross, he gave up his life, And Jesus, though he was in the promised land, he chose to descend into the dead on our behalf for our sin and for our curse to show us the way to eternal life. And so friends, if Moses' death today teaches us to number our days and give us a heart of wisdom to recognize our sin, our rejection of God, I think then Jesus' death teaches us to number our days gives us a heart of wisdom, not just to recognize sin, but to recognize then the way back to the Father, the way to eternal life. And friends, isn't that the paradox of death? That is only through the death of Jesus you see the way to life. It's in trusting him alone. So friends, if you're a Christian today, take courage. Even in the challenge and the paradox, the difficulty, the real difficulty of death, there is hope. There is a comfort to the challenge. And I'll end with some of my favorite verses in Scripture, in John chapter 1, verse 17 to 18. I'll read for us. For the law was given to Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He, Jesus, has made him known. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for the great gift of your Son, Jesus. We thank you also for the example of Moses, that in his death, he teaches us our wisdom, teaches us to number our days. But we thank you that Jesus teaches us something better, hope of eternal life. And so, Father, even as we go through the challenges of the day, whether it's suffering, whether it's death, whatever else in between, Father, please, Help us to keep trusting in Jesus. Help us to see through this lens of death, the lens of Jesus' death, that there is life after death. Help us to keep trusting in you through all things and for Jesus' glory and sake. Amen.